0: that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. This is the word of God.
1: So let's say a quick prayer together. Lord God, we pray that you give us a deeper understanding of your love, that you would cause your love to not only infuse us, but to guide us in all of our thoughts and dealings with others. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray, amen. So so glad to be here this morning and contrary to what Chad said, "Pastor Omar is here, <laughs> so we must be on our best behavior." I mean, we must continue to be on our best behavior, all right? Um, so, divine love is the theme of our passage uh, today, and First John, these verses love, or in some variation like loved one, loved, beloved, is used 27 times in this short passage. And love here is always the Greek word agapao, which I will go into a little bit more later. It's the highest form of love. And it's, the Greeks used three words for love, eros, from which we get erotic, phileo, from which we get brotherly love, like Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, and Agapau, uh, in Romans 5, 8, we see that God shows his love, Agapau, for us, and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And in what I call the great football passage from John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So I'm gonna start with the story concerning the Apostle John, and I'm gonna end with the story concerning the Apostle John. So in Luke 9, it says, uh, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell to call down fire from heaven and consume them? I mean, they were upset. But Jesus turned and rebuked them and said, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the son of man came not to destroy people's lives, but to save them. And this story will become more important at the end of uh, the sermon. So love, in the passage we've read it says God is love. God, uh, love is the very nature of God. Love is not something that exists apart from God, but God has grabbed it all up in his divine arms and he's got unique possession of it. Love exists only because God exists. It is his nature, just like light and heat are the nature of the sun, love is God's nature. Now just imagine our Pacific Ocean which is the largest, or imagine the largest and deepest of the world's ocean basins, it covers approximately 63 million square miles, and contains more than half of the free water on Earth. The Pacific Ocean barely rises to the status of being a hint of the depth, breadth, and width of God's love. So, small example, November 21, 2010, um, in Afghanistan, in support of a military operation, U.S. Marine uh, Lance Corporal Kyle Carpenter threw himself on a grenade thrown on from a rooftop to save his fellow Marines, suffering severe injuries, including blindness. This kind of love is beautiful, it's awe-inspiring. We weep when we hear stories of love like this. And every culture has and admires stories of love like this. But this still does not rise to the level of Aga John is talking about something much deeper, much grander, more magnificent than this. Um, God's love came first the love of God was made manifest among us, it says in verses 9 and 10 of our subject, of our passage, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might be able to live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that God has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. So... Um, let me give you some examples of eros, phileo, and agapao. And I'm gonna give you some examples that arise out of our sin nature, but also out of our, the nature that God gives us through his Holy Spirit. So I want you to be careful to track my language. Now eros, we're all familiar with. It's romantic love. That's when you find someone who's incredibly beautiful, you devoted your life to her, you're always thinking about her. See, uh-oh, excuse me. <laughs> Let me calm down just a minute. Okay, that's, that's Eros. And it is, in its best form, it is passionate. It is intensely personal. It is intently devoted on one person or a very small number of people. But eros, because of our sin nature, is corrupted. And so it can become selfish, uh, controlling, uh, mean-spirited. Phileo, which is a wider love for the group, for the community, we admire this. This is wonderful to us. But phileo, because of our sin natures, can be corrupted also. And that is love for your group but only for your group. And if you try to love someone outside your group, that group that you love may expel you. Agapau. But that's the love that cannot be corrupted because it only exists directly uh, from God. So like in Phileo, We know we see this fantastic love between Romeo and Juliet, but they come from warring families. And each family is gonna uh, forbid the relationship. That's corrupted Phileo. So when we look at, um, uh, also in Eros, I wanna quote a passage from Isaiah uh, 43. But now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. See, that's that intensely personal. It is devoted to a person specifically. But I just can't let you love anyone else. That's how it gets corrupted. And I'm, I just can't. I, will, I would rather kill you than see you with someone else. Um, On Phileo, when those performers at the great concerts get get up at the end of their concert and they say, I love you, I think, by and large, they mean that at the time, but because of our sin nature, don't show up at their house unannounced, all right? in Phileo, we want the good of the group, but the good of only this group. Whereas Agapao is the greatest good for the greatest number without regard to race, gender, or any of the other things that divide us. Eros, always intensely personal. Um, I'm sorry, um, Eros is faithful to the beloved. Faithful to the beloved but because of our sinful natures if for some reason the beloved becomes unfaithful we reach out and we want to kill them in phileo this faithfulness is faithfulness to the tribe and it is valuable and it is good but in the hands of our sinful nature if the If we, in the eyes of the tribe, become unfaithful to their value system, they turn on us. So that if you're a member of the Ku Klux Klan and they call you brother and all of a sudden you have a revelation and you say, that person, that black person or that Asian person is my brother, they throw you out. Aga is always faithful even when the beloved is not faithful, okay? Now, all these forms of love, whether they're eros, fileo, agapau, can be self-sacrificing, like Jack Dawson's love for Kate Winslet's character Rose in Titanic, you know? Um, When uh, uh, Tony Stark, committed to die at war with Thanos. You can tell what I like. Um, It's all self-sacrificing in some way. And all these forms can be noble. Um, But you have to understand that eros, phileo, agapau, all derive from God. All love derives from God, not the corrupted part of that. That's not, that's what we do. So when Adam first saw Eve, his reaction was not, hmm, that's interesting. His reaction was, wow. So God's love is passionate. You know, sometimes we can think that God's love is distant, it's formal, it's polite and we fail to understand the depth of God's passion for his people. It is also intensely personal. So God can say to each single person, I absolutely love you. You, Elise, Scott, you're the apple of my eye. Seth, I love you. None of it is ever watered down. It is deeply, deeply personal. And yet God has given this to all of us through Jesus Christ. It is, his love is unfailing. It doesn't ebb and flow with the tide. It's always infinite and also There is never a conflict between God's love and any other part of his character. So we know that in the human nature, because of our sinful nature, eros can lead us to sin. When Dana and I were a young couple, there was a popular song and one of the refrains was, if loving you is wrong, what? I don't wanna do right. And you think, well, that's eros, but God's eros, God's love, his passion, is never at odds with his holiness, with his rightness, with his justice and his goodness. Um, His love is completely self-sacrificing and it has no end and it existed before the foundation of the world, we learn this from Psalm 139 verse 16 where the psalmist says, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me when, there, when as yet there were none of them. In other words, before there were days, God set his love upon us. Imagine that. Um, God's love is unaffected by time and circumstance. It is always focused on our best eternal interest. It never wavers from that. And God's love in the example I gave of Phileo where the cow carpenter, the Marine threw his body on the grenade to protect his comrades. God's love is that love, imagine Kyle Carpenter throws his body on the grenade to protect the one who threw it. So again, it's passionate. When I first came to Christ, I used to think that God's love was kind of distant. Um, It was theoretical. Um, and it was concerned about me, but it wasn't focused on me. And then when I became a Christian, I, I slowly began to realize that God had this passionate love for me in all my sinfulness. Knowing that I would die, I mean that I would be a sinner, he still continued to die on the cross for me. Next point I want you to know is that not only is God love, but his love frees us from the fear of eternal damnation. Verses 17 and 18. By this is love perfected with us, that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Now, that was a verse that used to confuse me. Fear, love, perfect love casts out fear. Well, I said, well, I love God, but... You know, I'm still afraid of pit bulls. I'm afraid of crocodiles and alligators. And if you drop me off in the middle of some African plain, I'm gonna be shaking in my boots by some lion coming around. That's not what it's talking about. The fear that grips us, regardless of the age in which we live, regardless of our culture, is the fear it tells us of judgment, of punishment, because inwardly, We know we have sinned. We know we have fallen short of the glory of God. And we're going to have to give an account to God for how we live. But perfect love, and it's God's perfect love, not our perfect love, God's perfect love casts out fear. So I had a, we invited, I always call him Pastor Fred to our house. last week and after after church, and because I'm now, I just celebrated the 36th anniversary of my 40th birthday. (laughs) And so I'm now able to look at the runway and actually see the end of it. I know at some point I'm gonna die. Well, I've always known it, but it never was real to me. You know, when you're 20, 30, it's just not real. It's real now. I know that there is an end to my runway. I don't know whether that's tomorrow or 10 years from now, but I know that the runway has an end. And I've been, I'm embarrassed to say troubled by it. When I die, and I've been struggling, Should I get cremated or buried? (laughs) When I die, will God be there to greet me or will be something else there to greet me? And I've been praying about this and worrying about this, and I shared this with Fred and Dana um, at brunch on Sunday. And they just, they ministered to me profoundly. Um, So eternal damnation is separation from God. But Dana had been telling me, look, Bill, it says, and I say Psalm 23 at least once a day, every day for the last 10 years. And for the first time there's this phrase, as I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. All of a sudden, I got it. See, the rod was what the shepherd used to beat away enemies. And the staff was what the shepherd used to keep the sheep in line so they don't fall down a ditch. So thy rod and thy... Together, they comfort me as I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. I don't have to worry about what's gonna be there to greet me, why? Because thou art with me. It finally got through this thick skull. I know most of you, you dealt with this long ago and it was solved. I didn't really get it into my heart until last Sunday. And then Fred told this marvelous story. If he wasn't here, I would say it originated with me, but He's here and I have to give attribution or he'll call me out. He said there was a father driving uh, his daughter in the car. She was in the back seat and a a bee flew in the window. And she was scared to death and she was screaming and, and kicking and daddy, daddy, daddy. And he says, honey, it's all right, it'll be all right. And he reached out like that And she's still screaming, screaming, daddy, I'm gonna get stung!" And he said, sweetheart, it's okay. And she was not convinced. And then he turned and he looked at her and said, see, the stinger is in my hand. This is what Jesus Christ has done for us. The stinger is in his hand. We don't have to fear death. Death is just a passage into his holy and divine presence. We are there already because of the Holy Spirit, but now there will be no division between us when we come. And I just celebrate it with God for freeing us from the fear of eternal damnation. What a gift from God that he would be so concerned about us. As to make this clear. Now, God's love for us compels us to love others. He said, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. We are commanded as slaves, not material slave, but someone who realizes that their debt to God is eternal and cannot be repaid. God says, love your enemies in Matthew 5 and pray for those who persecute you. Now, frankly, that is absolutely, from a human standpoint, that is absolutely ridiculous. Isn't it? Come on, let's get real. The only reason this command does not sink into being preposterous, impractical, and utterly ridiculous is that that is exactly what Jesus did for us. And he sends his Holy Spirit so that we are able to do likewise, not in our own strength, of which we have none, or certainly not sufficient, so that God can express his love for others through us, even as he expresses his love to us. Therefore, we have no excuse and no right not to love others. God's love is, of course, impossible without the Holy Spirit. And all those other forms of love, eros, phileo, are all informed by, guided by, made possible by, in their purest form, agapau, the fact that God loves us. So the wife is able to tell an errant husband, I love you and I forgive you. We are able to look at our culture and and, and say, well, to our culture, what you're doing is wrong. You're my country and I'm here, but what we're doing is wrong. Because we are answerable to a higher power, a love that is completely in harmony with God's character. So let me close with this as I told you, I would begin with a story about John, I wanna end with a story about John. When Jesus rebuked John for wanting to call down fire on the Samaritans, he said to John, you don't know what manner of spirit you are of. But let me tell you, John's statement made a lot of sense to all the other disciples. They were going, nodding in agreement until Jesus spoke. So back in um, the the fourth century, uh, Eusebius, who's one of the great church historians, told a story about the Apostle John that happened in the late first century. Uh, He had returned from his exile on the island of Patmos where he received the revelation of Jesus Christ. And he's traveling around appointing bishops. And in one city, he gives a new bishop a special charge to look after the spiritual health of a particular young man whom John had saved. And the Apostle John had these words, this one I commit to you in all earnestness in the presence of the church and with Christ as witness. And this bishop taught the young man the faith and baptized him. But unfortunately, the young man fell in with the wrong crowd He first indulged in worldly pleasures, and then fell into robbery and other crimes. He ran away. And when John returned to the bishopric, he asked the bishop, where is the charge? And the bishop said, well, sadly, he rejected the faith, he left, and he went up into the mountains to become a robber, and as I understand it, he is the head of a robber band, very vicious and very powerful. John fell down on his knees, threw dirt on himself, got up and said, which way? And he went into the mountains after this young man, and members of the band accosted him, and John said, take me to your leader and they took him to the young man and it was the same one and John and they were going to kill him he said before you kill me I need to talk to your master and when John saw him he fell down on his knees and he said my son my son God loves you repent come back He wasn't pleading for his life. He was pleading for the robber's life. He said, come back. And when the young man saw John who had been beaten and some of his clothes were tattered because he was dragged part of the way, he looked down at John and he started weeping and fell down on his knees. It says, When he heard, he first stopped and looked down, then he threw away his arms and then trembled and wept bitterly. And when John approached, he embraced him, making confession with lamentations as he was able, baptizing himself a second time with tears and concealing only his right hand. John, pledging himself and assuring him on oath that he would find forgiveness with the Savior, besought him fell upon his knees, kissed his right hand itself as if now purified by repentance and led him back to the church. This is the love that Jesus has demonstrated to us, a love that we would know nothing about if God, one, did not tell us about it and two, did not demonstrate it to us. So if he did not tell us, we would not know about this kind of love. And if he did not demonstrate it, we would believe, okay, you told us, but it is not possible and it doesn't exist. That is the love that God has for us. And he infuses that love in our hearts. And yes, our steps falter. We are inconsistent. We are inconstant. But in every way we fail, our God succeeds and he is continually looking at us and saying, Bill, get up. I love you. Come on, one more step. So let me ask you, who is God calling you to pursue on God's own behalf? from whom are you withholding God's love? Is there somebody who has wronged you, genuinely wronged you, and you are harboring deep hurt and resentment, but you have not prayed for them? Or if you have prayed, You have prayed for judgment to come down upon them and not for God's love to envelop them. Let's pray.